0: Hello and welcome to Roast into Black and White Television. I'm Guy Morgan, my co-host is David Newell. This is a very quick showcase edition where we tie up some loose ends from the previous discussion about iterations of The Saint, both on the big screen and the small screen. And we've had more opportunity to catch Ian Ogilvy's essay at Simon Templar in The Return of The Saint, plus some things which thankfully Never got
1: commissioned after the pilot. I'll just quickly share screen again. As you can see, what you can get is a little teaser, opening credit sequence to the failed pilot, "The Saint in Manhattan." Okay. Starring Andrew Clark as um, Simon Templar. Andrew Clark sounds like he's used to playing defence for Leeds. Um. And there's percussion, as it says in the trailer. Let's have a look.
0: right um it looks very 80s i didn't recognize any of the names that flashed up before me apart from robert s baker as executive co-producer or co-executive producer whatever the wording was and i have to say it looks like the saint does magnum pi Ah,
1: ah. including bringing over the mustache as well yeah was Andrew Clark English um I don't know I don't know well he had a bit of there'd have been his time when he played for Leeds United <laughs> uh, but let's have a look Sword of honor TV miniseries um Dr Blake mysteries neighbors sounds Australian to me uh yeah yeah I don't think he touched greatness. <laughs> Adventures of Skippy, 1992 to 93, Girl from Tomorrow, Les Patterson Saves the World. (laughs) Strong
0: Antipodean connection
1: there. Yes, Prisoner Cell Block H, um, Country Practice, Sons and Daughters, Anzac, so yeah, he's from Oz. (laughs) I didn't know about it until we've just stumbled across it then.
0: I can see why it didn't get picked up. Just from the titles.
1: Um, I guess the next one we'll, we'll try and track down will be Simon Dutton. as the same. I'll leave that to you, if that's all right. Thank you. I just thought I'd quickly show you this. Um, the Saint steps in to television. Two hours, four minutes, video 208. A documentary investigating the history of the popular TV series, The Saint, without a capital S, from the 60s narrated by no other than former saint, Roger Moore. And as you can see, there's some familiar faces, or names at least, Robert S. Baker, Roy Ward Baker, uh, Stuart Damon, um, Alexandra Bastido, Karen Gardner, Burt Cook, Kate O'Mara, Roger Moore, amongst others. And if we go down a little further, it says it's edited from The Saint Steps In to Colour. And if you go to that, there's a little less information on this we've got that baffling anonymity here is that a two-hour four-minute documentary is edited from a 50-minute one how's that even work
0: uh, maybe they plugged in some extra interviews i'm not entirely sure
1: just thought i'd raise that
0: that documentary the same steps in is probably on youtube and we may be able to access it and it would be quite interesting because i suspect that we might be able to lift some of the audio from the <laughs> interviews Purely
1: for educational purposes. Of course, yes. Like um, guys at Newcastle after dark do. They have a brilliant disclaimer at the beginning of all their YouTube postings, which are really worthwhile. Quite A lot of good stuff is revived on there. And it says this: uh, the copyright we get out is because this is being used for educational purposes. Um, And then you sit down and watch the omen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think clips for educational purposes are okay, providing they don't run on too long. Returning to last week's showcase edition which was about the various iterations of The Saint and Mm. in Britain we have this thing called Freeview and on channel 50 it is called Great TV. All right, yes. They do roll things around including Randall and Hopkirk and Return of the Saint which started...
1: All right, I haven't seen Return of the Saint. Do they have The Persuaders on as well?
0: Yes, The Persuaders is much more interesting to watch than Return of the Saint because of the chemistry between R. Rog and Tony Curtis. Return of the Saint is quite interesting and I know that you wanted to talk about the difference about moving out of studio into location. We talked about it with the Val Kilmer film Mm. about how people can feel obliged to use their locations because they've spent so much money and because it's quite difficult to get to them. And so, therefore, you want it all on screen, usually to the detriment of the story. Very similar in case of Return of the Saint, because a lot of that is set in Italy, or the south of France, Ah, which looks very similar. And the reason why that is, is because it's an RAI co-production. There we go. And the stuff that is made in Italy with an Italian crew, obviously, is dubbed because they didn't do sync sound in those days. So it's got this really strange feel. And Ian Ogilvie, when he is replacing his dialogue, and occasionally when he does it on the English ones, does a very passable Cary Grant impersonation. But not when he's actually being filmed in sync sound. (laughs) And he's quite good. However, he's not Rog, and I think it is that thing of the late 70s. If you look at programmes like, this is post-Sweeney, so Mm. it's all kind of thick ear stuff. There is The New Avengers, a lot of which is shot on location as well, including in France, because they had some French money, and in Canada, as we know. There is Return of the Saint, which has quite a lot of location work abroad, presumably most of it in Italy, even though it's pretending to be in the south of France. And you have things like The Professionals. Again, not a lot of it is shot in the studio. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, for people who don't know, Dave, what are the problems of filming on location as opposed to filming in a
1: studio? Uh, Well, you've got cost. Um, uh, filming in a, a studio, or as we're seeing a lot in, in the Roger Moore episodes of the same, the back lot, so that you know, many buildings become familiar to us. The archway, which just leads to a house which has a small curved staircase going up to the front door, um, we have seen in numerous episodes. In fact, I saw it in the Hammer film She not long ago. Well, it's a very popular so architectural feature, actually. <laughs> you would have that ability to say, right, OK, we, we're just going out, um, outside to film um or we're going to be be in the studio with outside and and, and particularly locations you've got a big logistic problem then of of shipping a cast and crew which means that sometimes there may be continuity errors there may be continuity problems there may be those bizarre pickups where you see someone like standing in front of a blue screen version of piazza de popolo in rome with a big thick blue line around so the cost um, would be considerable and this was at a time when you know kind of like the early 60s or so the may 60s 70s there may not have been that much cooperation or co-production and if we look at TV series at the time the ones which um, for our fan base may have come across most vividly were the ones set in Greece as you had who pays the ferryman you had the Aphrodite inheritance you had the dark of the Sun and all of a sudden we noticed that that big leap from studio bound TV episodes rather to wait a minute that Taverna looks really real oh wait a minute I know why it's really real because it is real um, and it I, I suppose that the, the was that strange thing of audiences expectations because for a lot of series up until that point we would much like Saint, we'll be told that we're in an exotic location. Buenos Aires, Paris, Rome, Cannes. But we know quite safely that um, location-wise, we're probably not going to move off the back lot. And all the roads that are used do look like home county.
0: Yes, I mean, I think there's obviously with cars and roads driving on the right or the left and the vegetation actually filming some of that on location would be a really good idea instead of using our old friend stock footage. If you have the second unit that could go out. One of the other things about location you mentioned the logistics obviously you have to feed people you have to house them they're no longer within 20 minutes of Elstree or Pinewood There's also just the problems of not having control over your shooting conditions, whether it's lighting, weather, or more importantly, sound. Now, that didn't really bother the Italians because they shot it like silent cinema until the early 80s. And that's why so many British and American and actors from elsewhere could go and have a career in Italy quite simply because all they needed to do was open their mouth at an appropriate bit of dialogue and it would get redubbed, usually by the Italian equivalent of Robert Rietti. <laughs> but in terms of shooting conditions, then that really can be a pain, particularly when you're sort of up against it. And it's one of the reasons why in Hollywood, for example, when they do shoot up in the hills, when a lot of Westerns and various people man for man said etc it was probably about an hour's drive and they pretty much had some uh, stuff that was already set up and they didn't necessarily have the weather changing on them
1: yeah, and you've got familiar locations um, only for its geological features um, Bronson Canyon um, which features very slanted strata of rocks, if you saw a picture of them you would incidentally recognise them because they have served in numerous thrillers, action films, um, westerns, and Star Trek. Mm. Um, so those kind of like they look like sandstone from a distance, um, and they're at an angle of about forty-five degrees, and it just looks vaguely rugged, a bit deserty, um, a little bit strange. And I suppose if you put like a metal pole in the middle of it with a red light on top, you're in the future. Yes. Um, so if you were if you were going to Europe. just kind of like on Great Britain's doorstep, you would, if you were doing location filming, you'd really have to make it worth your while. You would really have to, to have the idea when when it's being watched at home that, wow, look, they are in the south of France. Wow, they are in, you know, Paris. Um, rather than perhaps using sort of like nondescript places, where you just go, well, I could be anywhere. But obviously using and going to to bigger bucks locations, bigger cities, bigger towns is going to increase those logistic problems and I would probably imagine increase the cost.
0: Yes I mean the first episode of Return of the Saint he's climbing up a mountain. I'm not quite sure how good a mountaineer Ian Ogilvy is but it passes off quite well. It gets a bit sort of Eiger sanction right at the beginning and there are people looking through a telescope from a terrace and then the saint gets down and then comes and complains to the mi6 people that he's just being used and they want him to go to Albania which i think is from the looks of it very similar in
1: uh, landscape to Italy. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah because at the time 78 79 yeah Albania would have still been a no-go zone
0: I think some people might argue it still is, but I don't. I don't wish to
1: prejudge them. Um, it's certainly a com- coming from zone at the moment, if the um, uh, government's immigration figures are to be believed. That's quite interesting.
0: there I can't remember if it's the second episode of the Saint, which is set in London and it's surprisingly cinematic. And you thought, oh, okay. I, I, uh, go with this. It's either episode two, two or three, where somebody is trying supposedly to call the Italian ambassador, and then it turns out that they're really after the saint. <coughs> and so there's a lot of Day of the Jackal type stuff, but it, that moves quite well. And with the London locations, they tend to handle that. So you can see they're trying to use that location shooting to service the story. It doesn't always work. And when I was watching yesterday's episode of Roger's Saint, sort of thinking
1: the studio stuff moves things on quicker. Um Yes, yeah, there's um there's perhaps fewer of and even though they might only take a few seconds, they sort of eat into your story running time. Um of those establishing shots.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the 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 location shoots for return of the saint do take an inordinate chunk they i think they i don't know why in the editing room they allow this to run but i think it's partly because they've pared down the script so much because they know that there's going to be outside action mm. there's very little roughhousing indoors or, or <laughs> ransacking of hotel rooms most of the action involves running up and down stairs or people falling down stairwells or but it's all out there in the open, en plein air. And they had one of the latest episodes was George Cole as a mad scientist, literally. Um, a professor or um, doctor of nuclear physics who had been turned down uh, from government service because he had an unstable personality and was paranoid and then decided to hold London to ransom with a nuclear weapon. So hey,
1: that sounds like seven days to noon.
0: Yes, and I wouldn't care to hazard a guess about where they nicked that plot from. But on this point, Dave, what would you say the
1: saints' educational attainment was? Uh, well, well, we were talking the other... Um, uh, the other day that in the film film version he appears to have been at some sort of like either Jesuit or Catholic orphanage hard not school um, and certainly in Roger's series he does seem to to drop in um, a certain amount of knowledge certain amount of quotes much like the other week when he told us um, about reading how pearls are dissolved in red wine
0: but that was Terry Nation speaking through the saint <laughs> So you get the impression that he's possibly a School of Hard Knocks, University of Life autodidact, really, from... Yeah,
1: but well-read.
0: But well-read. Now, I don't know whether he fitted this in between the end of Roger's Saint series and the beginning of Ian Ogilvy's Return of the Saint, Mm -hmm. but Ian Ogilvy's Saint gets kidnapped and shown something in a laboratory, and he says, my God... Because he recognises that this is components of an atom bomb. And then he's spirited away. And he tells the policeman who asked him, so, well, why is he showing you? So, well, I have a physics degree.
1: Oh, well, right. oh, <laughs> very specific.
0: Yes, and very handy for, you know, because he would know what it took to make an atom bomb. Um, so whether he did that between 1970
1: and 1977, I don't know. Um, Could have done. Um, yes, I suppose. Uh, I mean, with the saint, you know, would he have to be in one place long enough to do that? Would it have been a correspondence course? I'd have thought so. He'd it, be sort yeah. of. He'd be faxing in his homework, wouldn't he? Um, yeah, and in, when it comes to like, yeah, he, he can't just confine all his um, actions and hijinks to to half term and the summer, <laughs> the summer holidays. Or the next semester when, no, I've got to get back, I've got I've got an essay due.
0: <laughs> no. About the whole series, I think, so far about halfway through, Ian Ogilvy makes a pretty good fist of what he's dealt with. Mm. And I think one of the main problems is that the Saint is much more roughy-tufty, despite the fact that he wears a turtleneck tight shirt and... Flared trousers. He seems to have a lot of truck with mercenaries and military Boy, types, yeah. as well as being on call from MI6 and the police. He doesn't seem to get up to much illegitimate hijinks. But there's A lot less eyebrow-raising and smart dialogue. There's nothing for the female leads at all, as far as I can work out, it's it's it is...
1: Not even a ride in in the Saints' Jaguar XJS.
0: Well, they get that, but that's about it, really. They don't seem to say that much. Whether they're damsels in distress or not, that basically seems to be it. There's very little proactive activity amongst the women. And the villains are pretty cardboard cut-out. The ones who are guesting from Italy, you, you aren't familiar with. But there's a lot of people sitting in offices, speaking dubbed dialogue. <laughs> there's a lot of reappearances from the old saint of familiar faces. And okay. actually a few of the original writers, or people, veterans from the 60s, and you know, particularly people like John Cruz who's written quite a lot of episodes of Return of the Saint. It's quite strange and as we said before there is that transition in the 70s between the kind of aspirational carefree glamour of the 60s into the rather dour, thick-eared action of the 70s and you know, it didn't get recommissioned and maybe it was too expensive. I don't know if it made a lot of money. It was only 24 episodes, so it wouldn't even have attempted to make it into syndication. Different times, different demands, really.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I, you know, I think it's it's always interesting um, in terms of a little bit of TV nostalgia, but also a little bit of history in terms of when there there seemed to be, and certainly probably the 70s were a bit when there there did seem to be that big move to um, location, location, location.
0: Yes, and I think that was a mistake, really. Um, Partly because it does interfere with the storytelling. Unless you have the budget to do all that show, don't tell, Mm. doing the show in a studio or even if it's a darkened sound stage or something like that that's pretending to be a warehouse or some kind of ship's hold then I honestly don't see the point well you you would
1: also have to to look at how you rejig um the stories or or perhaps open out the stories one of our favorites one of our tropes that we've got going along um is you've dubbed it kind of like the country house cluedo mystery mm. Um that's the same likes to get involved in where there's a couple of scenes um, out and about, um, and he ends up back in a country house with a list of guests, suspects, as we like to call them in the police game, uh, in the in the house. Um, and you've got the tension there comes from the confines of the fact that the saint is in the house with a murderer, or possibly a whole group of murderers. We we don't know, um, and you know if you swap that to a French chateau and you were able to do loads of outside um, photography for it, it kind of like dissipate all that suspense.
0: Yeah, and actually, you might as well do that with a, with stock footage or a second unit. I mean, one of the things that I think Brian Clemens said that they were trying to do on the new Avengers, that they wouldn't do establishing shots unless the actors appeared in it, or the, the car mm. drives up and they get out. Rog did that or his Mm. look-alike, did that (laughs) in exotic places like Stevenage. And it's a house. It's basically, what Mm. are you going to do in the house? Are you going to do much stuff in the grounds? If you're going to pull back that wide, you're going to need a tank to make it look interesting, because otherwise Mm. it's small figures in the landscape. And once you get into the house, why not use a set if it's
1: in the scene, Doc? Yeah, just (coughs) move some... Flats around, yeah, I suppose that the, the devoted out there um, may begin to recognise um, not only external back-lot locations, but maybe some internal locations as well, or the way it's been designed. you see all oh, right, the one that was on, on Sunday, Geoffrey Keane's house looked eerily familiar.
0: Yes, I think it,
1: even that, that thought... Maybe he bought it off Anthony Quayle. I don't know, because
0: Anthony Quayle wouldn't be named there anyway. Possibly we get to see it in colour in later episodes um, and in other series. Of course, you can move the staircase around or shoot it from the other side. Um, but yes, I, I honestly think that there is a real problem with shows, and you see people trying to do that now, where programmes have shifted to the south of France, for probably because the weather is better. Mm. Um, and I don't know whether you caught murder in Provence.
1: Oh no no is that um oh is it Roger Allen?
0: Yeah his wife is a law lecturer and then she has to does this long piece of exposition explaining the French legal system and Mm -hmm. what uh, an investigating judge does. Well that's handy because he's an investigating um, it judge. Is,
1: and, and follows that old screenwriting doctrine of um, tell, don't show. Sure, yeah. that's right. That's what we were told, weren't we, on our course?
0: Oh, yes, yeah. When in doubt, yeah. use a voiceover.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: It'll help cut through a whole swathe of stuff. Or possibly even a flowchart and diagrams. Yes, so I think that actually... Unless you have some landscape and you're going to do some 39-step style of being chased across the Scottish moors, or you've got a train or something, there's very little that you can't do in a studio
1: with second-unit footage. And The only time that filming on location looks really, really well is when it's filming near where you live and you've got the thrill of seeing like a big film unit and everything like that on your doorstep um inland did know the, the the first one i remember being shot there was the um Granada epic um a family at war was um filmed a little bit on um, on the beach and with yourself obviously with with york york is a great you know, location in in that respect, because I think it was, is it Wild Alliance with John Stride and Julia Foster? Yeah, um, kind of like an early prototype uh, moonlighting kind of setup, uh, which was which was filmed on location there. So yeah, sometimes you know when you do see that that location work going on, and you realise, oh right, I wonder how where I live is being used. And how it's going to end up looking. Yeah. The locations have to be
0: integral to the story. And if you're going to do more than just establishing shots or cars driving along rugged mountain roads, then... I mean, you can do a lot more with drones now, I suppose. But in the end, you have to have people acting. And whether they're going to be doing most of their dialogue in the car, you sort of think, well... Why not do it in the studio really or stationary with a wind machine where you can control the conditions
1: unless it's that cost cutting thing of using locations which could double up as somewhere on the other side of the world um, and on my doorstep from Plandidno, um there's the welsh national park of snowdonia which in its time doubled for china in um, Inner the Sixth Happiness with Ingrid Bergman. Doubled for the Chinese-Russian border in The Chairman, the most dangerous man in the world, with, with Gregory Peck, with a bomb in his brain. Um, carry on up the Khyber, speaks for itself as to where's that set. Drum, again doubling for mountainous northern India. Uh, so yes, Snowdonia had a certain certain level of adaptability for it, and you didn't have to go that far, even though they did speak a foreign language.
0: Indeed. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. Location work should be used sparingly and appropriately. Mm. Mind how you go. You've been listening to Rose Tinted Black and White Television, the Showcase Edition. I'm Guy Morgan. My co-host has been David Newell. We've been discussing the various iterations of The Saint. And if you want to hear what we think of the classic, the one and only Roger Moore Saint, the black and white episodes of which are going out on Talking Pictures Television, currently series three as we speak. You can listen to our review show where we will be reviewing The Scorpion, The Revolution Racket, and The Saint Steps In. I thank you.